for the, the last uh, couple weeks, or last couple times in Numbers, uh, we were looking at the Israelites setting out into the wilderness after their year at Sinai, uh, after uh, being brought together as the very people of God in the midst of the earth uh, to be a blessing to all nations, uh, to be a, a, a vehicle for God to bring about his purposes, his covenants, his creation blessings uh, to all uh, nations. And we were seeing that last week that's tied even to the, the days of creation. Some of the themes are, are drawn through uh, because God's creation purposes uh, still hold. Uh, he, he will, he blessed in creation. Uh, he blessed his creatures, he blessed man. And one day they will be blessed. Uh, cursing only follows of the sin and rebellion that comes in. And so as they set out, uh, we were seeing seven days. Uh, they set out three days uh, and they were setting out to the wilderness of Paran uh, in preparation to enter the land. Uh, on the fourth day, uh, they were at Taberah and with their complaining, uh, the fire of Yahweh burned at the, the very outskirts of the camp. And so, as one commentator said, it really showed God's patience, God's mercy. It's kind of a, a warning after all of the rebellion, all of the sin, all of the grumbling, even coming through the wilderness the first time from Egypt to Sinai, it's just the outskirts of the camp uh, that, that get burned. But pretty soon, uh, throughout uh, their tents, uh, throughout Israel, more and more uh, complaining, uh, sinful cravings, ungratefulness. Uh, they don't even ask God to provide uh, for them. He had given them quail before, uh, but they were thankless, ungrateful, uh, and they complained. And that eventually resulted in uh, their three days at Kivro Tatava. And at the very end of it, uh, the graves of the craving, uh, graves of the craving where they went down uh, to the pit. And so now we're transitioning uh, to, it's probably the eighth day, uh, another seven will pass after the, the judgment of Miriam. Uh, but now uh, we're really seeing even Miriam and Aaron among the Levites, among the Kohathites, uh, the uh, prominent clan to which they belonged, uh, and even Aaron, the, the high priest, his uh, his siblings, his, his brother and sister, who were, uh, Miriam was a prophetess. Aaron was a prophet. Uh, Aaron was the high priest and holy to the Lord. Now even they rebel in sin against God's authority and throw off the authority that he's established, his servant Moses. Uh, they, they weren't satisfied uh, to go along. And part of this, we'll see, it's even connected to the, uh, the anointing, the spirit coming down upon the 70, upon the two, Eldad and Medad. Is, is Moses, uh, is, is he really anything special? Uh, the 70 prophesied, the two prophesied, uh, Aaron and Miriam have prophesied. In fact, God's even, he's spoken to them before. Uh, he's spoken to the congregation. And so is, is Moses really anything special uh, anymore? 
And so uh, it, it emboldens them, uh, and we will even see as we go through some of the elements of the, the temptation of the man and the woman uh, as they rebel. And now we were talking about last week how there's a chiasm here, but some of these chiasms, they can get so complex where you might have three big thematic paragraph sections uh, with one at the middle, uh, but then they might break down into uh, connected events, uh, maybe into seven, uh, and then even into down to sentences and phrases and even word counts. Uh, and so the, the structure can get extremely complex. So I just want to give a rough overview and we'll make some connections along the way. Uh, but the key, uh, as you read more and uh, read this passage, read Numbers, the Torah, Scripture, uh, read broadly and deeply, uh, you'll start to notice where you work through the first half of these events and then suddenly, as you get to the second half, you start hearing echoes back. It starts sounding kind of similar uh, and there are connections being made. And so you, you have a chiasm and it's kind of like a rising step structure, uh, like A, B, C, D, uh, with a center point and goes to the center and then uh, the, the other end will reflect what came before. And so roughly what we'll be seeing uh, besides their arrival and their departing uh, from, from Hazarot, uh, we'll see Miriam and Aaron speak against Moses. Uh, they're going to claim equality uh, with Moses. And that eventually is going to arrive in at the end a God's punishment of Miriam and his mercy. Uh, we'll be, see both judgment and mercy uh, at, the, at the end. Uh, in following their speaking against Moses, uh, we're going to learn a little something about Moses. Uh, Moses is a humble man uh, that they're speaking against. And at the other end, we're going to see that Moses will end up interceding uh, for them who complain and rebel and seek to cast off his authority. And, and that, that intercession for them will lead uh, to God's yeah, punishment, but he's going to show mercy to Miriam. Uh, he's not going to strike her down right on the spot. He's not going to even leave her leprous uh, forever and, and outside the camp, excluded from the people of God. And then after seeing Moses' humility, uh, Miriam and Aaron speaking against them, Moses' humility, we're going to see God summon them, which will lead to the center, God rebuking them, and God departing. And so we'll make the connections along the way as we, uh, as we work uh, through this text. And let's just read through the text, uh, starting with chapter 10, verse 35. From Kivrot Hatava, Graves of the Craving, the people journeyed to Hazirot, and they remained at Hazirot. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, 
Has Yahweh indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And Yahweh heard it. Now, the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly, Yahweh said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And Yahweh came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. And he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you of Yahweh, I make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of Yahweh. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of Yahweh was kindled against them, and he departed. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, please do not punish us, because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried to Yahweh, O oh God, please heal her, please. But Yahweh said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp seven days, and after that she may be brought in again. So Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days. And the people did not set out on the march till Miriam was brought in again. After that, the people set out from Hazerot and camped in the wilderness of Paran. And so if, if anything happens and we don't get through, through the text, uh, right there, we, we heard the word of God. So that's the, the best start. And what I say, you know, test it. It's uh, certainly not not the inerrant word of God. So uh, back at uh, verse 35, chapter 10, uh, we saw, saw last week uh, that they, they start, uh, they, they set out from Kivro Hatava. Uh, the people journeyed to Hazerot and they remained at Hazerot. So new location, uh, and we're wondering what will be the significance of uh, Hazerot. Uh, we certainly saw that the graves of the craving and uh, Tabera, the place of burning, uh, was not, uh, did not have good outcomes. And then uh, we're looking at verse 12, uh, where we start with uh, Miriam and Aaron speaking against Moses, uh, which will eventually arrive uh, their uh, judgment, uh, the judgment of Miriam and uh, God's mercy. Uh, but uh, to start, uh, we saw that uh, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. And it wasn't just that the verb was in the feminine singular, Fatedaber, Miriam Be'aharon, Be'moshe, Tedaber, but it's their order of appearance, uh, it's the, the punishment that will follow. Uh, yeah, the rebuke will be for both of them. 
but the punishment's going to primarily follow or fall upon Miriam, uh, very much like the garden uh, where uh, the woman listened to the serpent, uh, the man listened to his wife instead of God, uh, and nobody listened to God. Uh, nobody. And uh, we see that here as well. The, the roles are reversed. And sometimes, like with Abraham, uh, sometimes you should not listen uh, to your wife if she's contradicting uh, the word of God. Uh, and so uh, there's one point in Abraham's life where I think he was still called Abram at the time, or Avram, but Sarah suggested that he take Hagar uh, as a concubine and that they would have a child through, through her. Uh, God never commanded that. He promised uh, that he would give him offspring. He would give him uh, a seed, uh, a, a descendant uh, following him. But uh, Sarai uh, took it into her own hands and, and said, uh, we can't have a child. Uh, let's, let's figure out our own way to do this. And so she gave Hagar to Abraham. And it says, Abraham listened to the voice of his wife. <laughs> and at that point, it's not a good thing because God did not command that. In fact, it violates uh, the very creation uh, account of man and woman, uh, marriage. He made them male and female and that they were to be joined together in covenant, uh, in bonds. But uh, take, take Hagar. But later in uh, Abraham's life, uh, Sarah, uh, after Ishmael, uh, mocks and laughs at uh, her son Isaac. Uh, she says, uh, Abraham, uh, put, out, uh, put out Ishmael and this uh, slave woman, for he will not have an inheritance with my son. Uh, now, sometimes uh, she abused her authority and power toward Hagar, but as far as uh, the promise that the inheritance was to Isaac, that was God's purpose. Uh, that was God's promise and covenant with Abraham. And so he's, God said, Abraham, listen to Sarah. <laughs> uh, she got that right. Uh, the inheritance is for Isaac. Through Isaac shall your descendants be named. The blessings, the covenant is through Isaac. But he also said that he would make him many nations and many kings. And he said, I will bless Ishmael as well. And so sometimes it's appropriate uh, to listen uh, to your wife or, or to your husband, uh, but other times uh, it's, uh, it's not. Not if they're going to rebel against uh, God. And uh, we see throughout Scripture uh, the, the very equality a man and woman made in the image of God. But he does give uh, special uh, role, roles uh, for a husband. Hus husbands don't, they can't bear, bear children. Uh, they, they don't have that, that gift. Uh, women can't father children. Uh, there, there are certain things that are unique about being created man and woman, and uh, humanity could never be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth uh, if it were not the case. So uh, we see here uh, Miriam, uh, she's instigating this. Uh, she's, uh, she's kind of uh, starting, and uh, Aaron is going uh, right along with her willingly. And so 
Uh, verse 12, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And we start to look at this, this issue of a, a Cushite woman. And some suggest that, well, Zipporah, she was a Midianite. It says here that that's a Cushite woman that literally he had taken uh, in, in, in marriage. A lot of times that's used for, for marriage. Uh, she's a Cushite. Uh, Zipporah is a Midianite, so it must not be Zipporah. Uh, maybe Zipporah died. Maybe he took, a, took another wife. But I just want you to think a little bit about the, the context, the expectations uh, that the original audience and us, uh, if we're good readers, should have leading up to this point. Uh, up, up to this, this very point, if we were to ask, who's, who's Moses' wife? It's Zipporah. Uh, he, he married Zipporah uh, be, uh, during his 40 years sojourning in Midian uh, back in Exodus 2. And uh, he, he was there, came to an end as God appeared to him in Exodus 3 and 4 at uh, the, the burning bush. Uh, and he, he had two, uh, two children, uh, Gershom and Eliezer, as I recall. And also uh, Jethro, uh, Zipporah, her sons, met up with Jethro. And after uh, the exodus, uh, after coming through the wilderness, uh, Jethro came with Zipporah and with uh, her sons, Moses' sons, uh, to meet Moses at Sinai uh, as, they were, as they were arriving. Uh, and uh, Jethro even drew on similar issues where he instructed Moses concerning appointing other judges. Don't judge this people alone. Uh, and we're seeing that also with the elders and bringing the spirit upon them uh, that was part of the solution for the people and for Moses to not bear the burden alone. But Jethro uh, brought Zipporah, Moses' wife, uh, perhaps just, just a little over a year ago uh, at Sinai. And just before this, we saw Hobab, the brother-in-law of, of Moses. He's his brother-in-law. Uh, Jethro's his father-in-law. Uh, they're in-laws. Uh, it was just seven days before this. <laughs> and he's his brother-in-law, and he invited him to come along, and he came along. And so uh, these events, as they arrive at Sinai, and Jethro meets them, Zipporah, his sons, and they depart from Sinai with Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, because He's the brother of Zipporah. Uh, up to this point, if you asked, who is Moses' wife? You'd say, Zipporah is Moses' wife. Uh, in the camp, uh, does anyone know who Moses' wife is? It's Zipporah. Zipporah's Moses' wife. You know, everyone knows that. Uh, we haven't been told that she died. Uh, we haven't been told that, that there is another wife. We need some more information. And so, for starters, we know Zipporah is his wife. And so we should connect, why are they calling Zipporah a Cushite? Can, can we make sense of that? I mean, maybe if we can't, then we're going to have to find some other explanation. Why are they calling Zipporah a Cushite? And we started to look, uh, even in, uh, back in the, the Table of Nations, or really it's, it's the, the Toledot, or the generations of Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Uh, and 
Ham and his son Canaan were cursed, uh, and uh, Cush, Egypt, uh, Canaan, I think perhaps put, uh, came from, uh, from Ham. And so Cush, uh, and from Cush, uh, we saw some of his descendants uh, that came from like Rama, Sheba, Dedan, uh, who, who were peoples that lived south of Egypt. Uh, they lived along the northeastern African coast, along the, the Nile, south of Egypt, uh, and also uh, just east of that, on the western Arabian coast, uh, peoples that spread out and came from Cush. Uh, and we also saw that with Abraham's genealogy uh, in Genesis 25, uh, after Sarah had died and he married Keturah, that some of his descendants, even Midian, uh, Midian went back to Moses. And so Zipporah is a descendant of Moses, uh, that, uh, that, uh, or a de descendant of Abraham that Moses had married, uh, very much like Abraham sent Isaac uh, to his people uh, to find a wife. Don't take it from the peoples here. Don't take a wife from the, the Canaanites. And whatever you do, don't take them back to that land. God said, you shall not go back there. Uh, he, he was giving them uh, the land in which they were sojourning. And so Midian descended from Abraham. But we saw that some of his descendants were even connected with uh, Sheba and Dedan. And a lot of times we see mixing uh, of individuals, peoples, nations. Uh, we see that with Ishmael taking an Egyptian wife. Hagar was an Egyptian. Uh, we see that with Esau after taking Canaanite wives and finding out it didn't please his family. Uh, he ended up taking uh, a wife from, from Ishmael. And so from a, a descendant of Abraham, but not of the promise, not of uh, the inheritance and the, the covenant. Uh, and so there are connections there, but we also saw with uh, Habakkuk 3, uh, verse, verse 6. And let's just take another look at that. Or actually, verse 7. Chapter 3, verse 7. All right, so... It says in Habakkuk 3, verse 7, I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. And here we have synonymous parallelism. Uh, and now, when they're synonymous, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're absolutely 100% identical, but the, the similarities are being highlighted more than the differences. Uh, and so it, it can vary how strong of a synonym you have, but synonymous uh, parallelism, uh, you, you essentially have the same meaning that fleshes out what he's saying uh, in the very next line. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Cushan uh, and Midian are identified uh, together and there's some question about, is Kushan a clan? Uh, is it uh, a city uh, or a region? But it's clearly identified uh, with Midian. Uh, and you can find elsewhere where similar sorts of connections are made uh, between uh, Kush and these, uh, these peoples and their descendants. But then 
a cushion uh, right here. You have a very clear synonymous parallel statement uh, between the two, that they were identified together and that the biblical authors uh, knew and understood this. And so let's go back to Numbers chapter 12. And so our expectation would be Moses' wife is Zipporah. And nothing, there, there has been nothing to tell us anything different up to now. And so we should be asking, why are they calling Zipporah a Cushite? Uh, that's, that's the question. If we couldn't make sense of it, okay, you might need a different explanation. But we see the, we see the connections. Uh, that, that are made throughout, throughout scripture. Uh, and the, the Midianites are often connected with different nomadic peoples and clans uh, elsewhere, even in numbers. In fact, later, uh, there will be Midianites, unlike Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, who will uh, mix with them uh, and uh, through Balaam and such, will help to entice the Israelites to sin and rebel against God. And so uh, Hobab, as a believer, Zipporah as a believer, are, are received by God and the foreigners uh, to be treated uh, as, as a native uh, because they fear God and they, uh, they keep his covenant. Uh, they, they believe him and obey him by his grace. And so uh, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman he had married or taken, uh, for he had taken a Cushite woman. Right here, there, there are a few objections that they could, uh, they could be making here. Uh, if, if you're to put it, put it in the best light, although we're going to see that's not quite possible, or how, how they try and frame it, it could be an objection raised by the Torah, uh, by, uh, by the covenant, by God's instruction uh, through, through Moses that even the priests uh, in Leviticus, uh, they were to marry from among their brothers. Uh, and we even see with, with Abraham uh, that he sent Isaac uh, to, well, he sent his servant uh, to get a wife for Isaac from his, his people, uh, not from the people of the land. Uh, and the same for Jacob. Uh, he went back to Haran uh, to find a wife. Uh, don't take a wife from the, this people. Uh, and uh, there are great problems as far as uh, Judah. He married a Canaanite woman, a Bat Shua, which is really Bat daughter of Shua. She's the daughter of Shua. And his sons were, were evil in God's sight. And he, he killed the first two. Uh, and the, the second uh, wouldn't give a, a child uh, to uh, Tamar, uh, to his uh, his the wife of his brother who had died, and so he struck him dead. Uh, and he, he was mixing with uh, the peoples of, of the land, and you see again and again, that's a problem with the Israelites. In fact, uh, some of them, uh, there will even be a, a prince among the, the people, uh, as I recall from the, the tribe of Simeon later in Numbers, who will unite with the daughter of a leader of a Midianite clan, uh, a, a ruler, uh, and even in the, the tent of, of meeting. Uh, the, they, they will unite uh, and sometimes making connections with other powerful rulers and such, uh, taking wives uh, could be uh, very uh, beneficial to one's own uh, ambitions uh, and status 
uh, in seeking rule and authority. And so there uh, they take wives from even the Midianites uh, and a plague breaks out upon them and it's only broken off by Phinehas, uh, the son of Eleazar the priest, uh, the son of Aaron the high priest. Uh, Phinehas has to uh, strike uh, this man and woman uh, dead and thrust them through with a spear to avert God's wrath from uh, the people. And so uh, they weren't to marry uh, foreign women, and particularly of the, the Canaanites and such. And go to oh, Leviticus 21, and let's start reading at verse 7. Uh, this is instruction uh, for the, the Levites and for the, the priests. They shall not marry a prostitute or a woman who has been defiled, neither shall they marry a woman divorced from her husband, for the priest is holy to his God. You shall sanctify him, for he offers the bread of your God. He shall be holy to you, for I, Yahweh, who sanctify you, am holy. Uh, the daughter of any priest, if she profanes herself by whoring, profanes her father, she shall be burned with fire. Uh, the priest who is chief among his brothers, on whose head uh, the anointing oil is poured, and who has been consecrated to wear the garments, shall not let the hair of his head hang loose, nor tear his clothes. He shall not uh, go into any dead bodies, nor make himself unclean, uh, even for his father or for his mother. Uh, he shall go out to the sanctuary, lest he profane uh, the sanctuary of his God for the consecration of the anointing oil of his God on him. And uh, now we, we connect back to, uh, to marriage. Uh, I am Yahweh, and he shall take a wife in her virginity, uh, a widow or a divorced woman, or a woman who has been defiled or a prostitute. These he shall not marry, but he shall take as his wife a virgin of his own people, a, a betula. Uh, that he may not profane his offspring among his people, for I am Yahweh who sanctifies him. And so he was to marry uh, a virgin of his own people uh, because as the, the, the chief priest over the, the people, uh, they were to represent God. Uh, they were to be uh, holy and, and undefiled. And here, a vir virgin of his own people, uh, and this was also true of the king. Uh, uh, the king was to come from the people, uh, the judge, uh, the priest, the prophet, to come from the people, uh, but he was also to, to marry uh, from the, the Israelites, from his own people. Uh, Part of the test of a prophet was if they came from their people, and here uh, he was to marry a virgin daughter. And so uh, they could be uh, from the, the Israelites. And so they could be raising this against Moses. Well, Moses, when he is uh, back in his sojourning, he married a, a Midianite. And here uh, they maybe make her sound even a little more foreign. Uh, married this Cushite woman. Uh, Aaron didn't do that. In fact, Aaron married uh, the daughter of Nashon, the son of Aminadav, of Judah, who are in uh, the Messianic Davidic line, uh, the anointed line of the king. Uh, he, married, he married someone of, of, of great status and even, even you could say 
royal blood uh, in, in Israel. Now, we know that the, the kingship uh, ultimately comes, it comes by God's decree. Uh, it's not enough to be a physical descendant, but here, someone of great status, uh, Aminadav, uh, was a ruler among Judah in the people. Uh, in fact, uh, Judah just dwelt to the east of, of Aaron and Moses and Miriam uh, in, the, in the camp uh, with uh, the tribes. And so he married an Israelite. Uh, not, not Moses, he didn't. Although it's kind of interesting when you read about Phinehas uh, and his genealogy in Exodus, I believe it's chapter 6, could be 5, but pretty sure 6, uh, Phinehas uh, took uh, a wife uh, from the daughters of Putiel, uh, which, as I recall, foreign daughters. And so, what, what's Phinehas, the, the one that God made his covenant with? Uh, he, took, he took from these daughters, and it, it's a problem that arises. Uh, even Tamar, she was an Israelite in Judah. Uh, God, uh, God used it. Uh, he uh, Judah uh, was uh, foolish, uh, he was unwise, uh, but God uh, used it. He subverted uh, the, uh, the choices of man, uh, even the sin of man, uh, to bring about his good purpose. And you, you see that again and again and again. And so, uh, I don't know, maybe uh, Aaron, Nadav, and Abihu died. Now there's Eliezer, uh, the, the third you know, he's assuming it's maybe through Eliezer, but Phinehas, God will make his covenant with, uh, the, the youngest, uh, which uh, would be unexpected. And so back to Numbers 12. And so they could uh, be making, uh, first of all, an objection from the Torah, from the law, uh, and, and even from the, the patriarchs uh, who, who married among uh, their, their own people. Although... Zipporah was. Uh, she was uh, a descendant of Abraham. Uh, she was a Midianite. Uh, and in God's providence, uh, God used it. And in fact, uh, Zipporah was a believer. Uh, when Moses went back to the land and uh, was heading back with Zipporah and her sons, God almost cut Moses off because he did not circumcise his firstborn. Go sit and say to Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn, and if you do not let my son go, I will kill your firstborn son. But Moses had not circumcised his own son. And Zipporah, acting wisely in faith, circumcised her son and touched the foreskin to Moses' foot, making atonement for him. And God relented. Uh, he, he relented uh, because she... Moses had violated the covenant. Uh, if his son was not circumcised, he violated the covenant made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and was basically in unbelief saying, I'm not of the people of God. Uh, but Zipporah acted quickly and in faith. And so she was uh, a believer in uh, Yahweh. And you see that with Jethro. Uh, you'll see that with Hobab. And uh, the, the foreigner among the Israelites who sojourned among them, if they believed God, if they feared and trembled at his word, uh, they were to be welcomed and received as a native of the people. And so uh, their objection against Zipporah uh, does not follow. 
Uh, and more than that, I may express their uh, Israelite prejudice uh, that they uh, they'd, uh, often have. Uh, we're, we're the people of God. Uh, we're, we're, we have, he's revealed himself to us. He's spoken to us. He's given him, uh, us his law. Uh, we're his people of blessing and promise. And so they could become arrogant. Uh, they could think more highly of themselves. And so Moses again and again has to say, God did not choose you because you were the greatest of the peoples, but you were the very least of them. Uh, God is not g giving you this land because of your righteousness, but because of the sinfulness of the peoples, he is driving them out. Uh, and you are a stiff-necked and hard-hearted people. And so it wasn't for their goodness or, greatest, but, or greatness, but the Israelites could think more highly than themselves uh, than, they, uh, than they should. Uh, but uh, you see, you see even these four, foreigners and sojourners alike, uh, Tamar, uh, Zipporah, Jethro, Hobab, uh, Midianites, uh, even uh, Rahab, who joins the people of God, a Canaanite cult prostitute, uh, probably a, a cult, cult prostitute who came to faith in God and repented uh, and wanted uh, to, uh, to belong to God's people, uh, and she feared him over a man and her own people. Uh, and thirdly, uh, they, they might be objecting from the Torah, Israelite prejudice, or even Egyptian prejudice. Uh, you can read uh, throughout, uh, throughout uh, ancient Egyptian writings, which uh, they've been traditionally divided along uh, old, old Kingdom, Middle Kingdom, New Kingdom, with intermediate periods in between. But from, from, uh, even from the Old Middle Kingdom, uh, to the new kingdom, uh, you can read about how their pharaohs go out and they, uh, they smite the Cushites, uh, and they wage war against the Cushites, and uh, they even uh, remove uh, certain body parts that would uh, indicate that they had killed male warriors uh, so that they would be rewarded by, by the pharaoh. And, uh, and so there, there's all this talk of, of the Cushites because they lived south from them and to suppress rebellions, uh, to uh, gain tribute from them, uh, to uh, establish uh, and keep their own rule uh, again and again. It, it speaks about the pharaohs and such smiting uh, the, the Cushites, their enemies. Uh, and you see the people, I don't know about Miriam and Aaron, but you see the people a lot of times wanting to go back to, to Egypt and that it was better there. You know, I almost wonder even if uh, the, there's maybe even a little bit of uh, Egyptian prejudice here. Uh, and it, it could even be a, a shot at her... Uh, even maybe for uh, making herself more foreign uh, or even for her uh, a deeply tan skin uh, as among the, the, the Arab peoples uh, or the, uh, the, the nomadic peoples uh, throughout the Arabian coast uh, under the, the sun and such. And so uh, clearly uh, they're, they're taking a shot at Moses' wife, but uh, this, this is just... It's the back door. It, it's a ruse uh, to get at Moses and to cast off his authority. And so, uh, verse 2. And they said, Has Yahweh indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? Has Yahweh indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us 
also. And now they could have, they could have just said, put positively, God has spoken through uh, Moses and, and through us. Has, hasn't God spoken through both, both Moses and us? But by putting it negatively first, uh, they really highlight uh, their uh, equality with Moses. And so, has, has Yahweh indeed spoken only through Moses? And so, if you have a, a stage and a platform of, of those that God speaks through, uh, his authoritative uh, prophets and spokesmen, has, has Yahweh indeed spoken only through Moses? And Moses standing alone? And, and what's the implicit answer? No, he, he hasn't only spoken through Moses. In fact, we just saw the 70 and the two. Uh, Aaron, Aaron and Miriam have, have heard from God. Has he not spoken through us also? Aaron, Miriam, and Moses? Standing uh, to, able to speak on behalf of God? Uh, and it's really not through Moses, and what we'll be seeing as it, as it goes on, uh, but better rendered with Moses. God has spoken with Moses. It's not just speaking through him, but a personal, direct revelation uh, to, uh, to Moses, a communication. And yes, he would give it to the people, uh, but we're going to see uh, this uh, intimate revelation uh, that Moses received from, from God. So, has Yahweh indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken or spoken uh, with us also? And there's a certain grain of truth there. At times, God has spoken to them and spoken to the Israelites. Uh, but predominantly, uh, he speaks to Moses, uh, and Moses speaks to Aaron, and Aaron speaks of the words of God that were given him by Moses. And so, end of verse 2, and, uh, and Yahweh heard. Yahweh heard. And we see that again and again, even at Tabera, uh, that the, the people, it happened as they were complaining of uh, their bad situation, their, uh, their bad state of affairs. Yahweh heard. And now, it got so bad at Kivra Hatava, where people were complaining uh, throughout the camp, intense. Uh, it even says that uh, Moses heard this. Uh, in the eyes of Moses, it was bad. But whether Moses or anyone else hears it, uh, God certainly hears it. Uh, they may be speaking in, in private, uh, inventing against Moses and puffing themselves up in their status. Oh, God has spoken equally through us as well. Uh, Moses, he's not over us. Uh, he, he, he's... He can't exalt himself over us. Uh, even if they speak in hushed tones uh, in their tents. And Yahweh heard. God always hears. Uh, he knows uh, the thoughts of uh, the speech of his people uh, behind closed doors. Uh, gossip, uh, every uh, wayward and, and idle thought and word. Uh, God hears. And so uh, this... Uh, this is ominous. And now, uh, verse 3, who, who is this that they, they've just spoken against? Uh, verse 3, 
Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. <laughs> and now, we just heard that they were saying, well, he, he took a Cushite woman for, for his wife. And what was the issue in the garden? You shall not take from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, and the serpent uh, challenges, did God actually say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman and the man, they, they take from the tree. And they're saying, Moses has taken something that he ought not. He's disqualified. He, he's, he's no greater than, than us. And you also learn that now the serpent was more shrewd than all of the, the beasts uh, that, were, uh, that God had, had created uh, on, on the earth. Uh, he was more shrewd than, than all of them. Uh, in a bad, well, it turns out in a bad way, <laughs> really bad. But now Moses, now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. Now that's pretty meek. Uh, Moses, uh, he, he had his doubts, he had his weaknesses, he had his short temper, uh, but he was a humble man. And you see that uh, again uh, and again uh, throughout. Uh, God, I, I, I'm a man of uncircumcised lips. Uh, he's, he's weighty and burdened in, in tongue and speech. Why, why send me? And sometimes he's making excuses, but he also, he, he doesn't think that he's, he's anything great. Why, why would God choose uh, someone like him? Uh, he's the youngest of his siblings. He's not the firstborn uh, son. And, and Jethro, he gives advice to Moses and wise, godly wisdom and counsel. And Moses, he listened, he listened to Jethro. Jethro was wiser than Moses, and he listened and appointed judges. Uh, and we just saw that with the prophets, uh, Joshua uh, called out, uh, my Lord Moses, silence them for prophesying. Are, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all God's people were prophets. Moses isn't jealous that God would pour his spirit out upon all his people. Moses is humble. Uh, Moses does not care about his own status uh, and, and authority. Uh, Moses believes and fears Yahweh uh, and serves him. And so he is a, a humble man. And now, verse 4. Uh, we see God's summoning of uh, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. And suddenly, Yahweh, and suddenly Yahweh said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. Now, he just summons the, the three of them. Well, how, how do we know that maybe he's going to Speak against, uh, speak against Moses. You know, Aaron and Miriam know they married this Cushite woman uh, against God, uh, against his instruction, uh, or so they, so they frame it. Uh, maybe, maybe God's going to punish Moses. Moses, what's this you married a Cushite woman? How dare you? And, uh, yes, uh, Aaron and Miriam. Aaron, he married, he married a daughter of Nashon. He, he speaks for me. You know, maybe he's going to punish, maybe he's going to punish Moses here. But keep reading. 
Verse 5, And Yahweh came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and the two of them came forward. ESV says both, but it's the two of them. So he called the three, and now it's not Miriam, Aaron, and Moses, but Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Uh, it's, it's reversed. It's put right back in its right order of authority that God has, uh, has established, uh, appointing Moses as his prophet. Uh, but he comes down to the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and the two of them came forward. Not the three now. And so he makes a separation, a distinction uh, between Moses and Miriam and Aaron of the two. Uh, Moses, the one, and Miriam and Aaron of the two. So come out, you three. And it could even be a father speaking to siblings in rivalry uh, against one another. In fact, uh, we'll see some of that same uh, fatherly household language uh, as we continue, uh, continue three throughout. And so uh, Yahweh now summons them. And suddenly, I mean, picture yourself as Miriam and Aaron. And suddenly Yahweh said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, come out you three to the tent of meeting. As, as they are speaking against Moses, uh, that could be very frightening uh, as he calls them forth. And they think uh, no one hears uh, what they're saying. And so from their summons, we now come to the very heart where God is going to rebuke Miriam and Aaron for speaking against his servant, Moses. All right, so uh, verse 6. We'll read through it once and then just work through. And I want you to see uh, the, the juxtaposition between prophets in general and between Moses and his unique status and authority and relationship to God. And he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you of Yahweh, I make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of Yahweh. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And so he starts and he said, hear my words. And now they claim to speak for God. Uh, they claim that God has spoken with them as well as Moses. Uh, now some quite ironically point out, now he does directly speak to them, but in a rebuke. Uh, and uh, if they're God's prophets, why don't they listen to his words about his servant Moses? Hear my words. And already listening, why doesn't he just get, off, get on with his point? Why does he say, hear my words? They're already listening. Let's get their attention. Uh, what he's saying is important. You better listen up. Listen to what I'm going to tell you. If there is a prophet among you of Yahweh, I make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. And so this is generally the case uh, for prophets uh, in general. Uh, there were many prophets in Moses' day, uh, but he was Yahweh's prophet par excellence. 
Uh, there were many prophets in Elijah and Elisha's day, uh, but uh, they were God's ultimate spokesman in their day. Uh, and we'll see that the Lord Jesus Christ is, is uh, the, the ultimate spokesman of, of the Father. And so, uh, if there is a prophet among you of Yahweh, or some render it differently, but that's a good way, or kind of literally, if there's a prophet of you of Yahweh. Uh, it can be a little hard, hard to bring out, uh, but uh, this would include Miriam and Aaron making this claim, uh, and for, for others, for the 70, uh, for Eldad and Madad, uh, and others as well. I make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. And now, uh, oftentimes uh, with uh, just uh, the average prophet, even sometimes with men like uh, Abimelech, uh, who were uh, seeking to take Sarah, Abraham's wife, uh, God spoke in a vision and said, well, even to the Pharaoh earlier in Abraham's day, uh, you're a dead man. If you, if, you touch, if you touch that woman, you're a dead man. And he, he spoke to him, you know, in, in a dream. Uh, oftentimes, though, uh, dreams could be of different characters where, uh, for instance, with, uh, with Joseph uh, in prison or with Pharaoh, God could have, he could have just spoken directly to Joseph and Joseph could have went to the prisoners and said uh, to the baker, uh, look, uh, you're going you're gonna to be executed in three days uh, and the cupbearer, uh, you're, you're going to be released by, by Pharaoh. And remember, you know, remember me when, when this happens. But, you know, they might have just blown him off. Who are you? What are you talking about? And so uh, they have dreams, and God basically uses uh, the, uh, the Egyptians and their ideas about dreams uh, providentially for Joseph. He speaks directly to Joseph. They could have just told him plainly, uh, and he gives, them, uh, he gives them the meaning. He, he says what's going to happen because God spoke it directly. Uh, they couldn't get that from the dreams alone. Uh, but in God's providence, he did that because later uh, with Pharaoh, uh, the cupbearer, after Pharaoh has some distressing dreams, uh, he's going to say, I, oh, I know this guy, uh, this, uh, this, this Hebrew, who can, he can interpret dreams. Uh, the, the Egyptian wise men can't do it, uh, but Pharaoh can, or Joseph can. And so Joseph, again, uh, God spoke to Joseph directly, and he explained what God was going to do uh, in his providence. And so a lot of times dreams, uh, they need, they need uh, interpretation. Uh, and even Daniel, he interprets dreams. But then later in the book of Daniel, when, when he receives dreams and, and visions, uh, the, the heavenly messengers have to explain them uh, to him uh, in, in direct speech. And so here, God generally, he, he reveals himself uh, obscurely, not with clarity, not, not with the directness of Moses, uh, but Aaron, uh, for the most part, he received words from Moses. Uh, he didn't have the direct audience uh, with God uh, all the time that, uh, that Moses had. And so contrasting uh, just the average round-the-mill prophet uh, with, with Moses, uh, verse 7, not so with my servant Moses. This isn't how he reveals himself to Moses. He is faithful in all my house. 
And so in God's house uh, in Israel, in his dynasty, uh, like the Davidic house, uh, he's, he's king over, over his house. Uh, Moses is faithful. Moses is trusted. Uh, Moses has a direct, open access and audience with Yahweh. And he speaks uh, with him. Uh, and we see this in, in verse 7. Or uh, going into to verse 8. Uh, he is faithful in all my house. Uh, with him I speak mouth to mouth. So doesn't speak in a dream with Moses, but mouth to mouth, face to face. Although Moses could not, no man can see my face and live. But in another sense, uh, he spoke uh, presently, personably with Moses uh, directly, uh, almost as a man would speak with a friend. Uh, and in contrast with, I make myself known in a vision uh, with, uh, with these uh, prophets over here, uh, with, with Moses, he speaks mouth to mouth clearly, not in riddles. Same word for, for vision, but in this case, it goes along with speaking. It's not a, not a vision, but something uh, that is apparent, something that is clear, contrasted with uh, riddles or parables, something that's obscure, something that's difficult and hard to understand. No, he speaks clearly with, uh, with his servant, Moses. And he beholds the form of Yahweh. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, Moses? Hear my words. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, Moses? Uh, echoing all the way back to his rebuke, uh, the beginning and the conclusion against them, uh, they spoke not uh, just against anyone. Uh, they didn't just speak against uh, their sibling or another prophet, but this is God's prophet par excellence who has direct open access with God, who's his trusted, faithful, highest steward in his house. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And now verse 9, he had summoned them, and now he departs from them. And the anger of Yahweh, and the, the anger of Yahweh was kindled against them, and he departed. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow, and Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And so God's presence leaves, he departs from them in anger, and leprosy comes upon Miriam, or can be used for different sorts of uh, skin conditions, uh, but in this case, one that will exclude her outside of the camp uh, to be put out away from the people of God, away from God's presence, uh, to be put out as leprous, uh, as one who is unclean uh, because of her sin and guilt and shame uh, that ultimately has, has come upon her. And so this is a judgment from God. And God had told Moses, he had given signs to reveal himself, uh, throw your staff on the ground, turned into a serpent. Uh, and also, thirdly, uh, casting uh, water from the Nile on the ground became blood. But the second, put your hand into the fold of your garment, pull it out, uh, it became 
leprous. It became uh, white as snow. It may even have to do with uh, the, the flaking, the deterioration of the, the skin. And so this was a sign that God had sent Moses. And now that same sign comes upon Miriam as judgment. And so now uh, Aaron, uh, we see uh, Miriam is punished. Then Aaron uh, inter- he calls upon Moses. Moses intercedes. And see, we see the reversal happening now. Uh, Miriam and Aaron's rebellion against Moses. Miriam is judged. Aaron has to go to Moses uh, and Moses to God. Uh, so Aaron, verse 11. And Aaron said to Moses, O oh my Lord, do not punish us because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And so we have, we have sinned. This is better than with the golden calf where he just said, well, the people asked me to make it. And I, I took the, the gold and silver and threw in the fire and out jumped a calf. Now he says, we have sinned. Oh my Lord. Now, now he's calling Moses his brother, Lord. He sounds a lot more like Joshua now, recognizing Moses' authority. And he can't go to God. He has to go to Moses. God departed. He can't appeal to God. He has to go to an intercessor. He has to go to Moses. And so Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, do not punish us because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And this could be the condition of a stillborn child as the, the flesh uh, it deteriorates uh, and, and dries away. And so she is as one dead uh, with her leprosy. Uh, she is considered dead and put out of, of the camp. In verse 13, uh, we see Moses' intercession going back to his, uh, his humility And Moses cried to Yahweh, please do not heal her. Now, there might be a word play here uh, where you see Aaron, uh, you see Aaron say, Alna, which is no no please or please don't, uh, a request uh, that's being made or an exhortation. Uh, Alna tashet, Please do not place the sin upon us. Uh, and, and he repeats this again. Please don't allow uh, Miriam to be as one dead. Allow her to be as one dead. Please don't. Please don't. And it could also be Elna. God, please. But you have this pattern that's established. And so when you start reading it, uh, at first, it, it looks like Please don't heal. And Miriam and Aaron, they have sinned. They have rebelled. They have put Moses in a very hard position with the Israelites in rebellion against him, who even at times are ready to overthrow him. And you have to realize in Israel, in, in the ancient world, even in our day, that sometimes these uh, rivalries for authority, status, power could even lead not to, just to the elites, but to siblings killing one another uh, to take authority and power. But as you continue to read, your eye can miss it. 
Al-Narafa, Nala. It repeats. Uh, please don't. Uh, please heal her. Please don't. Please heal her. Or God, please, uh, please heal her. Uh, it, could, it could be taken uh, e either way. And the, the repetition and, and Moses' humility and what follows uh, will then show us he did intercede. And so uh, the, the, it may just show uh, Moses' uh, dilemma here. <laughs> and uh, it's a difficult situation, but in his humility, he intercedes for Miriam. And then uh, coming just to the last verses, uh, verse 14, but Yahweh said to Moses, if her father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp seven days, and after that she may be brought in again. And so he listens to Moses. Uh, he forgives her. Uh, and as uh, a number of commentators uh, Jacob Milgram, uh, Gordon Wenham, a number of them point out here just seven days. It was after they were cleansed from leprosy. They had a final seven days. Uh, and uh, in Leviticus leading up to the Day of Atonement, uh, Leviticus 16, you have talking about skin conditions and even a man, if he's unclean, if he uh, spits on someone or they sit on what he sits, he, uh, they become unclean. And here, shaming. Uh, you even see in Deuteronomy, there's a woman that if her brother-in-law will not give her a child after his brother had died, her husband, she was to remove his sandal, if you wouldn't listen to the elders, uh, and spit on the man and say, thus happens to the man who, who uh, basically uh, won't give a son to his brother, uh, who cuts off his line and doesn't care about it. And so uh, this, this was an act of shaming. And so there's something here that Miriam, Miriam is sh shamed. Uh, she bears her shame for seven days. But there's almost something kind of tender here where in God's household, uh, God treats Miriam as a father. Uh, she was afflicted, but she is cleansed. Uh, and after the seven days, she will be brought in again uh, into the presence of God, uh, into God's people uh, to be rejoined with her, uh, her siblings uh, and with uh, Moses, God's servant, uh, in the camp. And so you see both God's mercy and uh, judgment. And it even echoes uh, if her father, Yarok, uh, Yarok, Yarok, Bephanea, spitting, he spit in her face. And earlier they said, uh, Harok ach b'moshe diber Yahweh? Harok ach? Only uh, indeed by Moses has God spoken? And now, Yarok, uh, Yarok, spitting he spit. And so he echoes Miriam's own speech, uh, which was uh, offensive uh, against God and was, was rebellion. She's treated as a defiant, rebellious daughter of the people. And so let her be shut outside the camp seven days. And after that, she may be brought in again. So Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days and the people did not set out on the march till Miriam was brought in again. After that, the people set out from Hazerot and camped in the wilderness of Paran. And so she's brought back and uh, three times, seven days, seven days, seven days. It's like at the end of uh, creation and with the rest, uh, they're delayed from entering into the 
uh, into the promised land because of Miriam. But they, they wait for her, and uh, uh, Gordon Wenham even says that waiting for her, it shows, shows the status of Miriam. Uh, these are people, uh, they'll mourn for Miriam and Aaron and Moses when they, uh, when they die. And so, what do we learn from this? Well, uh, really we see here uh, the defiance against God's authority, defiance against uh, God's servant, his steward, his authoritative spokesman, uh, whom he has appointed. Uh, you see this for, for the judges, the, the, uh, the, the judge, the priest, the king, uh, the prophet uh, throughout. Uh, there were many prophets, there were many priests, but not all were the chief priests, and not all were the prophet par excellence. Uh, and so to reject God's word, to reject uh, the authority uh, that he has established in any word and to replace it with anything, with our subjective personal experiences, uh, with our personal preferences, with our traditions, uh, with, uh, the, with the, the state, uh, obey rulers and authorities unless they forbid you to obey God, uh, to replace God's word in anything for what we are to believe, how we are to live. Uh, and in the church, uh, it, it said of Jesus, now, he's, he's a prophet like Moses, but don't miss, he's also infinitely greater than Moses. Uh, Moses was a servant in God's house, but Jesus, uh, he, he's a son. He's, he's so, so much greater as the builder of the house and the builder is God. He's over the house as a son. We are his house uh, in, in the church, in the body. And if we have turned from our sins and repented and put our trust in his finished work, uh, dying, uh, living the perfect life and, and, and dying to bear our sin, our guilt, our shame, our punishment, uh, and being r raised uh, and, and resurrected, uh, for our redemption. Uh, if we put our trust in him, uh, we become sharers and partakers uh, in his house. And then we have direct and open access to the Father through him. Uh, you can read about that in, uh, in the, the book of Hebrews. And so we have one who is far greater. Uh, and if uh, anyone will not listen to him, uh, God will require it of him. Uh, when it comes to, to matters of death and life and salvation, uh, when it comes to idolatries and false gods, uh, when it comes to matters of uh, gossip and sin and, and abortion, or, uh, well, I'll do what works, you know, what I think works, or I, I won't obey Christ because it just won't work. No, the standard, the authority is Christ. God has spoken finally and authoritatively through his son, and we are his house, and we have the forgiveness of sins uh, in him, and free and open access to the Father through him, a greater mediator, a greater intercessor than Moses ever was, although he was faithful in his house as a servant. So let's just close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, and uh, thank you for 
Thank you for your servant, Moses. I thank you for the, all that you've revealed and spoken through him and through uh, your holy and prophets and apostles, uh, through Samuel and Elijah and Elisha and uh, Paul, Peter, John, uh, all of them. But uh, we thank you above all uh, for your son, uh, that you have sent him into the world uh, and that uh, after he died, he did not, uh, death could not hold him, but he rose out of the grave uh, and in his resurrection and he ascended to your right hand where he always lives to make intercession for us. And I pray that you'd forgive us for all of our sins, uh, that you'd make us humble, that we would hold fast to your word and the word of your son and your holy prophets and apostles and that uh, we would come to love you uh, all the more and that by your spirit that uh, you would make, make us faithful uh, in your son. And so uh, we thank you for uh, all of these uh, things and uh, for all of your promises and uh, your daily provision and blessing that you give us. And uh, we pray in the name of your uh, holy son and uh, the, the builder and head of uh, the church, his body. Uh, amen.